0: This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books. I am so glad you are listening and would really appreciate your rating this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have personalized book questions, I can be reached at cindyhburnett at att.net, and I write two book columns for The Buzz Magazines, a publication here in Houston. The link to both can be found on this podcast website. Today, I am interviewing Kathleen Carter. Kathleen is the founder and CEO of Kathleen Carter Communications, a literary publicity and marketing agency that creates and implements strategic and customized campaigns for authors and publishers. She is a graduate of Fairfield University, where she studied literature and art history. She lives in New Jersey with her two kids. I am really looking forward to talking with her about the book world, and I'm excited that she's here. Welcome Kathleen. How are you today?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, absolutely. I'm excited
2: to hear about everything. I guess we can start out with telling me how you got started as a literary publicist.
1: Sure thing. Yeah. So I actually started when I was in college. I was a I interned for a, a Boutique PR firm in New York called Goldberg McDuffie Communications. I got the internship from a professor and a publishing course I was taking. And I was taking I was at Fairfield University, is where I went to college. It's in Connecticut, so I just would take the train in a couple of days a week and help out at Goldberg McDuffie Communications. And from there, they offered me a job when I was graduating, and so I took the offer and I spent um, my whole career working there until I started my own firm.
2: How long ago did you start your own firm?
1: So I think it'll be three years, actually, this fall when I decided to start on my own. I was with Goldberg McDuffie for, I want to say, 13 years and then just reached this point personally and professionally where I felt like it was the moment to make the change. And it's been amazing. It's been the best decision I've made. What's a typical workday like for you? Um, it can vary right now um, in you know quarantine days. There's a lot more book mailings than I normally would do happening, but it's just a lot of constant communication. It's conference calls, it's zooms now, a lot of pitching, research, and outreach to the media and just writing. I write the press materials for the books that I work on. So there's a there's some days that I block off just for writing. But it's it's kind of for me at least a mix of everything. I'm not good at like devoting one day to just one thing. I just sort of go as the day takes me. So it's a little bit of everything. But I would say the, the biggest difference now versus you know before COVID is that I am sort of operating sort of like a warehouse mailing out books, which it's been a while since I've had to do that. So. So normally what
2: happens is you communicate with the publisher and say, I've got these 10 people to send the book to, and that's not happening right now. So instead you're sending the books. Is that kind of what you mean? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so how it usually works and, you know, pre COVID there would be, media mailings that would go out. So when the ARCs or the galleys were ready, um, the publicity and marketing teams put together the list of people that they want to receive them. And for PR, you know, a lot of that, those targets are people who are in office buildings at media outlets who are just not working there now. And maybe they live in an apartment complex and they can't accept packages. So now it's more, you know, I'm sending Upon request, sending to a lot of bloggers and bookstagrammers even more so than before, and also just sending a lot of PDFs and sort of NetGalley widget type things to the actual you know traditional media.
2: Because I guess some publishers aren't really doing any ARCs right now, physical ARCs. They're doing everything on NetGalley and Edelweiss.
1: Yeah, yeah. I had a you know I I had a couple of books that were coming out April, May, June where the there were just there was no access. To, to finished copies. The warehouses were completely shut down. There just was no, if I wanted a finished copy of a book I was working on, I'd ha- I had to buy it. So it's gotten better, but it was uh, it was tricky. <laughs> <laughs> so some warehouses
2: actually shut down for a while. I'm not sure I realized that. So that was what caused the delay with some of the finished copies, getting them to bookstores and and everywhere was because there was the place that yeah. would be shipping them out was closed.
1: Yeah. There were just some states where people were ordered to work from home. And so if there was a warehouse there, that wasn't happening. And then even when, when some of the warehouses in those areas were back up and running, it was sort of a very limited priority only. So they were only servicing accounts. You know, they weren't doing like publicity mailings or was really just going to, I guess, like booksellers or whoever, but not, not for PR.
2: Yes. And even now it seems like it really varies when I have a book comes, you know, an email comes across my desk and I'm looking at it thinking, oh, that book looks good. And I reach out to the publisher. Sometimes I can get a physical copy. Sometimes I can't. It just seems publisher by publisher, they've set up different rules.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah.
2: What makes a good literary publicist?
1: I think communication is probably the biggest thing. Um, I think the thing that the authors that I work with and the publishers that I work with appreciate or value in me is is that I'm very communicative, especially say you're a debut author and you don't know the process or the world at all. I think a literary publicist, like a big part of their job is to sort of a reality check in a good way is in terms of like how things work, questions you could be asking, things you should be doing as an author, which I would say over the last 10 years, more and more authors have had to be their own cheerleader, which is not a natural feeling for a lot of writers who don't like to write, you know, I think it's, I think it's uncomfortable for a lot of people to cheerlead themselves, but I think writers particularly can struggle with that. And I think that's just been something that people have had to get used to doing if they want anyone to know about their book, you have to be your own biggest advocate. So I think just communicating those, those ideas and, and, and giving people a background and a, and just being there to answer questions is really just super valuable and makes for a, a an effective, helpful publicist.
2: Well, and it is amazing to me these days. I guess with the dawn of social media and the big book communities on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, you do have to tout yourself a lot more. And I'm sure that's hard for authors. And you want to, you know, fine line between touting yourself and other things. But I, I'm sure it makes it a lot more difficult and maybe a little unexpected for debut authors.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think it just doesn't come naturally to a lot of people. and um, and But I think once they sort of get into that world and they find, you know, fellow writers or they find the groups that are doing, you know, book promotion on social media, they sort of just understand that it's just the way that it goes. And so that makes it a little more comfortable knowing that it's just part of the job at this point, you know?
2: No, I agree with that. What's the fav- your favorite part of your job?
1: So- I still get really excited when a book gets like a booking. When a when a book gets uh, you know, if it's if it's a memoir, if they get you know uh, an interview on a national TV show, or if it's a a novel that gets in People or reviewed in the New York Times or an NPR interview or whatever it is, I just I get really excited about every booking for for the books that I work on. And I think it just makes me giddy still. And I think that's probably my, my most favorite aspect of the job still is just helping to make that possible and seeing the book the book that I'm working on. And, you know, I, I have really wonder. I'm grateful, I have really wonderful relationships with the authors that I work with. So I'd, I take it personally, I feel like it's my book too, at a certain point. So there's a pride factor there when I sure. see it. Get it through. Sure. So I think that's probably my most favorite. Pre-quarantine, a close second would be getting to meet really interesting people in person and go to really cool parties and Um events where you just meet people you would never otherwise meet in your normal everyday life
2: That's one of my favorite parts of book expo is the the different parties and getting to meet people And I was just so bummed when it didn't happen this year But I mean, I know that's one of a thousand two thousand three thousand things that have not happened But it, it is fun because you do come across people learn about different books various personalities and it's just a bummer when it can't happen
1: Yeah, totally
2: and you have great newspaper or print media connections because I mean, I always I mean, a lot of times you do a great job of getting things in various places like People and on NPR and things like that.
1: Thanks. You know, I mean, I think I do have to credit my my roots with Goldberg McDuffie because they they really were the gold standard in book publicity for three decades. And I just learned from the best on that. And I had that attached to my name for so many years where it just was sort of a leg up with a lot of the media contacts who knew Lynn, who knew Camille McDuffie. And I really credit that, that experience in, in giving me a, sort of a, the door opened for me in that respect.
2: Oh, that's nice. And those are great contacts to have. Yeah. Do you have a least favorite part of your job?
1: It's a hard job. You have to really love it and you have to really have a passion for books because it, it's, a, it's a really challenging job on a number of levels. I'd say probably one of the least favorite aspects is like if you had a really big booking for an author and they're really excited about it and you're sort of riding on that booking and then for some reason it gets canceled or something gets pulled and you have to be the one to break the news.
2: Yeah, That would not be very fun at all.
1: No, that really just sucks. And so I, I hate, I hate that part for sure. But otherwise it's just, I think that, you know, the nature of the job is just one where you have to be very disciplined and put your head down and work and not think about, you know, political stuff or you have to just really focus on the book and the author and do your job and, And that's that because you could really get wrapped up in like all of it. There's a lot. So,
2: (laughs) Yeah. No, I agree. Do you feel like you have a good sense after doing it for so long of when a book comes in and you think, okay, this book is going to do really well, or do you have times when a book, you think, okay, this book is going to do great. And for various factors, it doesn't.
1: Yeah. So I... I like to think that I have a pretty good handle on it, but I have had it happen where I could have sworn a book was going to be everywhere and had uh, just particularly thinking of like a, a, a novel that was really timely, had a really compelling backstory. Um, you know, an author who's got a great platform and great connections and sometimes it just doesn't connect and it could be the time the timing, the mood of the country, the mood of the media, the mood of readers, where the praise that it does get is glowing and wonderful, but it's so few and far between and not at all at the level that you were expecting. So I've had, I have had that happen. And it's, it's a little mind boggling, because we don't always as publicists get a ton of feedback from from outlets about you know you, no one's emailing you to tell you why they're not covering the book you're working on so, i you guess know.
2: that's true i hadn't thought yeah. about that part of it
1: yeah so it's a lot of sort of head scratching and if you know you did your job and you pitched it and it, the book was in their hands or and they were aware of everything then it's not that they weren't aware of it it's just that it didn't fit for whatever reason so that that does happen.
2: Well, it made me wonder because every once in a while I'll read a book that I absolutely love and I'll tell people about it yeah. and, and and then everybody else is either doesn't pick it up so it doesn't sound right. good to them or they're like, eh, it's okay. So I just yeah. figured there's got to be those times when that happens. And I guess yeah. too, sometimes it will end up being cycles. So a book will come out about something and you're thinking this is the first book you've seen on it, but right yeah. before it comes out to, you know, it just seems like those yeah. things come in cycles. So yeah. sometimes it can just be the timing, the placement, everything you were just saying. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. What trends have you seen in the publishing industry recently, unrelated to the coronavirus? So before the coronavirus started, what kind of trends were you seeing?
1: So I think even pre-corona, there was a trend towards sort of more feel-good. Romance continues to be an area where there's a lot of interest and it's getting more attention. And so I think that the, the romance genre is definitely one area where I'm seeing at least more coverage and more excitement just across the board. And I think from a publicity standpoint, like pre even pre-Corona, we were still dealing, you know, just with the news cycle and everything that we're we're dealing with, certain certain books, fiction and nonfiction, that were heavier or dealt with more sort of political angles, were either really well received or like nobody wanted to read them. And I I'm not really sure who decided which ones were the ones to check out and which ones were the ones that just no, we're not in the mood for. But I was feeling that like earlier this year and even later towards the end of 2019, that there were just certain certain books that were an exception to a rule that seemed to be like, no, we're just not doing that kind of book right now. So, and then I think I think, again, even pre the moment we're in right now, there was a push to cover more writers of diverse backgrounds, more BIPOC authors um, to, to give a voice to, to those who haven't gotten the attention that they deserve. So I think that was, that was a real movement that was happening probably in the wake of the American Dirt situation. But I think, uh, and, and now more than ever, that, that area is growing and it's beautiful to see.
2: It absolutely is. And I hope that continues because definitely it's an area that we need more representation from a variety of groups.
1: Yeah. Agreed.
2: How do you come up with a marketing plan for a book and do you have sort of a a standard template and then you vary it depending on the book or do you just sort of take a book and think, okay, this, this fits into this category, I'll handle it this way. How does that work for you?
1: It varies. It it varies both by the book and by what the author and or publisher, what their needs are, depending on sort of how I'm, how I'm brought into the fold. You know, certain authors have different expectations or different goals for their book. Um, Some are interested in pursuing different kinds of opportunities others don't really want to. So it's kind of catered to to meet the needs of the client. And you know, there's standards within that. But you know, you might have an author who just won't say it's like a nonfiction. You know, there might be a particular personality that an author doesn't want to be interviewed by. So you just have to having these conversations about who who do you want to target? Who's your audience? What's your message? And then just sort of tweaking my usual sort of plan around their needs. Um, but there's a lot of research because even, you know, I have great contacts and all of that, but there's a new person writing about books every day. And it, <laughs> it, it, and it's, so it's like a big part of my job is really just going down that rabbit hole and trying to connect with whoever it seems to be that is interested in hearing about books so that I'm not, I've not missed them, you know?
2: Well, it does seem like that that rapidly changes and then different groups pop up or different platforms. So that makes sense that you would have to be staying on top of that on a regular basis. That actually yeah. leads into my next question. How do you develop your relationship with the reviewer side of it, the bloggers, bookstagrammers?
1: Yeah. So I think relationships with the media, again, I think i I, I owe credit to having been introduced to the media from, from Goldberg-McDuffie, but um, sustaining that has been just thoughtful pitching, um, trying to schedule meetings in person when possible. So I think putting a face to a name really makes a difference, getting that sort of personal element so that when you're reaching out to these people, they know they know who you are when you're emailing them nonstop about things. <laughs> right. And so I think for the media, that's been most effective for me is, is really trying to forge like an in-person or now even I'm having meetings virtually with, with media. And I think that really makes a big difference. And I think, you know, also when you have a, when you have a big book and you have a lot of interest from a lot of the media, just, you know, that opens doors for you too. And I've been fortunate to work on some really amazing books that have, have, enabled me to make those connections. So it's a combination of like my seeking it out and then it coming back to me when there's a a book that everybody wants their hands on. And with with bloggers and bookstagrammers, it's a bit more it feels a bit more organic how it happens. I have an Instagram. I I do it all myself, so I'm some it's kind of spotty. I do it when I have time and all of that because you could spend your life posting and I just don't have that time, but I, I enjoy it. And I think from that that world, I've had a lot of people reach out to me just based upon, you know, whatever authors I'm working with, I've been tagged in posts or whatever. So it's more it's more happened sort of organically that people either direct message me or they see that my name is the contact name on an author website and they reach out to me that way.
2: I was trying to remember how we got connected when I was setting up this interview because I know we do follow each other on Instagram, and yeah. but I couldn't remember where it first started. But I guess that's exactly what you're saying is that you know somehow it starts out, I see you had a, your name tied to a book, I reached yeah. out to you and then here we are.
1: Yeah, it was probably one of the salons that you did for one of the authors that I was working with at the time. I can't remember which who was first, but it, I think that's how... It might've been Linda, Linda. Or Jennifer Ly- Robson. Yes, Jennifer. Yes. I Jennifer. think that's, now that you're
2: saying yeah. that, I think you're right. Yeah. It was when I was hosting her and yes. then right. we got connected. Well, so okay. Yeah.
0: Now, now yeah. we're able to establish there it is. that.
1: <laughs> um, and I think with publishers, it's um, my relationships are both a combination of having worked with them for years. And then sometimes it's, I work on a novel or a nonfiction book or something where the author has brought me in and we just have a really good connection and a really good working relationship and so if they have an opportunity that's come up they'll maybe think of me for that book either they'll bring me on or they'll recommend me to the author who is looking to hire somebody so it's a combination of both
2: well and i'm sure because i've been sitting there with authors when you're being recommended i'm sure that's how you end up with with new authors some too is from word of mouth
1: yeah. I would say almost all of my work is word of mouth.
2: I mean, yeah. that makes sense because with that yeah. type of business, you do want to hear from someone else, their personal experience. Yeah,
1: so. completely. Yeah.
2: So now to the coronavirus and how it has impacted your world. Yeah. I and mean, we've talked a little bit about that, yeah. but how, like, what, what are you seeing as the big trends that are things that have happened as a result of the virus? And do you think some of them will stay?
1: So I think some of the, the, the big I think the biggest thing that is that is changed that may actually stay is just sort of to our conversation earlier about, you know, physical book mailings. I think particularly galleys or arcs, they're they're more expensive to print. And so some publishers pre-corona were scaling back on the number of galleys they were sending anyway for that reason. And so that may be something that sticks around where there's no actual physical galley mailing, that it's just e-galleys or digital, digital galleys that are circulated. I don't love that personally. I think there's really something to someone opening a package and seeing a book and seeing the press materials written out, you know, typed out. There's just like a presentation factor that I think is missing right now. And sometimes we think about how many emails people get, it could just get lost in the shuffle and that package landing and opening maybe with a personal note or even not just, I feel like reminds and reinforces. So
2: I agree completely. And I I really prefer reading actual books. I mean, I work yeah. at a bookstore. I love books. Yeah. I will read them electronically if it's a book I'm dying to read, but I much prefer a physical yeah. copy. And I think for marketing purposes, you know, thinking of Instagram and yeah. some of these things, you know, they they look so much better. <laughs> so sometimes maybe some of the effort is worth it. And I had even thought about the presentation part of it. What I have noticed is I'm having to spend more time myself looking for what's coming up. Like I felt right. like before, you know, because I guess books would arrive or people would contact me, do you want this right. in the mail? And now right. I'm having to spend more time myself, what's coming out in September, what's coming out in October. And right. it's, I'm curious to see where that's, co- like why that's changed. And I haven't yeah. really had a chance to evaluate that yet, but that's one thing I've noticed.
1: So I think that's the biggest thing. And I think also it was, you know, unfortunately there have been media layoffs. So that impacts the number of people to reach out to and i'm hoping that doesn't stay the same but you know i've tried to make more of an effort to actually subscribe to to more publications I, not just not just online but you know actually getting print copies of magazines sent to me and things like that as my like little way of trying to support journalists but right. i think i think that's been that's been for for The PR side, it's been tricky because people that you would usually pitch for a review are furloughed or been laid off, and that's so unfortunate. And then, but then on the flip side of that, I think the value of sort of blogs and Bookstagram have really been highlighted, and the work that they do to create that buzz. And they many bloggers and Bookstagrammers give incredibly thoughtful. Meaningful reviews—it's not just a picture on their feed. You know, they really read the book and they take the time to champion it if they love it. And I think you know, there's there's more of a value to that now. I think, which is really lovely to see because I think, for certain kinds of books, that world has always been really important. As soon since it's since its beginnings, it's been very important because space for books has always been less than other right. I think that, well, I mean,
2: I very much value my fellow Instagrammers opinions on books. I mean, I, I, if I'm looking for a new book and I want to see what people have to say, I look there before I look on Goodreads just because I, you know, I know them and I have relationships with them. And I I think, well, if they like that book, I usually like what they read or, you know, the opposite. So no, I agree. I think it is a very valuable platform.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
2: So what do you think about celebrity book clubs? I love every month seeing what Reese has picked and what Jenna Bush Hager has picked. And what are your thoughts on those? And is there anyone in particular you feel like is the supreme one that that mm-hmm. everybody's just dying to be picked by them?
1: I love them. I love them because anyone who's going to champion books is... I'm their number one fan. Um, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> anybody using their their platform and their celebrity to encourage reading and buying books is a hero. So I love it. And I I encourage more celebrities to do it.
2: <laughs> um, I think that would be great. I mean, I yeah. think it's been so fun to see the success of several of them. So it'd be awesome if more people were doing that.
1: Yeah, I, I I'm a big fan. And then in terms of who's best or who's... You know, I, I really, and maybe just because she's been doing it the longest and, and I, I just, I admire Reese Witherspoon and I, I, not that I don't admire the others, but I, I don't know. There's just something about her and her mission to specifically raise female voices and stories, uh, that I just respect so much, but as a publicist, I am delighted by all, all of <laughs> yeah, them, right. all of them. I think they all do really, they're all sort of different in their own little ways, mm-hmm. which I also appreciate. And I think, you know, the way that they reach the mainstream and, and people who maybe wouldn't be getting excited about books on their own is really just fantastic.
2: I agree completely. And Reese is my favorite too. I think I I've, I've from the beginning, I followed her when she started picking things. And then I just a lot of times really liked the book. Like when she picks it, I'm like, oh, I loved that book. So it's just kind yeah. of fun to see that. Though I, more and more with Jenna, it's been the same way. Early on, I wasn't as big a fan of some of her picks, but I think in recent times, like I loved Valentine and there've been some mm-hmm. other books she picked that I really liked. But yes, I agree with you. Anybody championing literature is a hero yeah. to me. yeah our heroine. Um, Well, I really so much appreciate your time joining me. I want to wrap up with a final question. Um, I know you read a lot. So what would you, what are a couple of recommended reads that you would suggest to people?
1: Yeah. So I just finished reading The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett and I, I loved the mothers. So I was so excited when I heard that she was coming out with a new book and I pre-ordered it right away. And I just, her writing is gorgeous and the story was just so, so good, like so good and engrossing and thought-provoking and intense and emotional. And I just, I savored every page. I just loved it. And I was sad when I was done reading it.
2: I, I loved that one too. I loved The Mother. So I was the same way. I was so excited. When she had a new book coming out. And the thing yeah. about The Vanishing Half is it just made me think about a number of things I had never thought about before, which I really liked. In addition to her beautiful yeah. writing, it just was very yeah. thought-provoking.
1: I agree completely. And then I've also recently read Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, which I think should be required reading in this country. I think every high school junior or senior should have to read that book, it changed me. And it's also just beautifully written and so brilliantly composed. But even thinking about it gets me choked up. And I just think it, it, it should be a book everyone has to read.
2: We, at the beginning of the pandemic for the literary salon, we launched a book club and it's now called As the Page Turns and that's our August pick. And yeah. so I'm I'm really excited to read yeah. it. And I just hear that over and over again. And I'm waiting to watch the movie until I've read yes. the book. And, and so once yes. we um, have our meeting in August, then I'm going to watch the movie, but I've just, I've heard it's just fabulous.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He, there's the movie and then the author, Brian Stevenson, actually, I think he's got I I've, I've saw it. I don't know if it's a recurring series but there's an HBO special also oh. that gets deeper into his story and his journey and the stories that he's shining a light on. So I've I've re- read the book and watched the HBO. I haven't haven't watched the Netflix film yet but I'm going to.
2: Oh, I'm so glad that you told me that because that'll be yeah. good to tell everybody when we're reading the book too and then I'll watch it afterwards. I always like to read stuff before I watch anything
1: about it. Completely. Yeah. So same. Well,
2: thank you again thank um, you so, so much. much for joining me. It's been a ton yeah. of fun and I really appreciate your time.
1: Thanks for having me. This is great.
0: Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at thoughts from a page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it wherever you listen to your podcast. I would really appreciate it. Thanks to KP Regan for the sound editing. And I hope to see you next time.